Welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast, the show for ambitious women ready to get off the hot mess express. I know you've got a lot going on. You work so hard. You're raising an incredible family, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. I'm your host, Michelle Grosser. I'm a certified master life coach, attorney, wife, and mom. And years ago, I was right where you are. I was running a busy law practice while raising a family, and I was on the fast track to burnout. I thought I just needed to be more organized or have better routines, but it was learning how to heal and regulate my nervous system that expanded my capacity to gracefully hold more of this big, beautiful life. You too are worthy of an extraordinary life in and beyond motherhood. Learning to be a calm, anchoring presence in your home and at work is going to be your superpower. If you're here to do the inner work that brings a sense of calm amidst the chaos, I'm here to join you on that journey. Each time you press play, your growth continues. So let's get at it. Hey guys, welcome to the Calm Mom Podcast. Michelle Grosser here, your master coach. I am recording on Sunday afternoon, so my kids are home. And you can and probably, if you can't, you probably will um, hear them in the background, but Hey, the life of a mama trying to do a whole lot of things, and I'm not even going to tell them to be quiet today, so we'll just roll with it. Today, I wanted to talk about why we worry about some weird stuff. We worry about some of the most random things sometimes. I know I do. I'll have these intrusive thoughts, and I'm just like, whoa, Like, where did that come from? Just these bizarre things that my rational mind knows would never happen to me or to my family or to my home or to my business. But these things just pop into your head and and it's probably happened to you too. Um, And we just worry. We worry about stuff that we know isn't likely to happen. We spiral. We let these thoughts kind of ruminate and take over and, and spiral and drive us crazy, really, right? We have like this pain and then all of a sudden we're down the like the WebMD rabbit hole and all of a sudden next thing we know it's like we must go to the ER because it's over. (laughs) We just worry sometimes about really, really weird stuff. And if you're anything like me, you probably wonder like where is this coming from? Like what is going on? Am I so jacked up? Like where do these thoughts, these dark thoughts come from? Like I know this isn't going to happen. So why is it that when I still worry about, I don't know, some someone just running off with my kids in the middle of the night or just like some weird stuff that goes through a parent's mind, a person's mind. I'm like, where did that come from? And it's what I kind of want to go through today. I want to give you some insight um, into why we have these intrusive thoughts or a reason why we can have intrusive thoughts, a reason why we can be worrying often about about maybe real threats, but also about just really weird, random stuff that we know isn't an actual threat um, because awareness precedes choice. So when we know about it, then we can have the consciousness to decide if we want to do something about it. So let's start with neuroception. Neuroception is our body's ability, the way in which it's wired to just constantly be scanning for dangers and threats right? We've talked about it on the podcast before, but our brain is wired for one primary thing, and that is to keep us alive, and that is to keep us 
safe, right? So it would make sense that our body is constantly scanning our environments for threats and for signals of, of danger or things that are safe, right? It's always just scanning for us. It's scanning for the red lights. It's scanning for the green lights. It's just scanning for ways in which it can help keep us safe. It's a really important job. The thing is that sometimes our brain doesn't really do a great job at distinguishing between something that is a perceived threat and something that is an actual threat. And one of the greatest areas of impact and influence on our neuroception and on how our body scans its environment for signals of danger or signals of threats is based on, surprise, surprise, our life history. Our life history. So if we have had a less optimal life history throughout our childhood, adolescent, early adulthood, adulthood, it has a huge impact on what our body perceives as safe and what our body perceives as dangerous. So less optimal life history. What am I talking about? I'm talking about things like our attachment with our caregivers, right? If you had a non-secure attachment with your caregivers, if your caregivers were unreliable, if your caregivers were unwell, if you were parentified and you actually had to care for your parents or you had to assume a role that a child shouldn't assume, if you had to walk on eggshells around your parents, if your parents um, were emotionally explosive or abusive, if you were meant to be seen but not heard, um, if your parents were actually real sources of threat and pain for you, right? All of those things form non-secure attachments and they lead to our body scanning for danger in a different way. Any sort of traumatic experiences, right? Where we have this lack um, of felt safety in our bodies. And what happens then is we live in this dysregulated state because our sympathetic nervous system, our sympathetic response, that fight or flight is continuously activated and it's constantly releasing stress hormones into our body to keep us activated so we can be on alert so when we can be safe. And the thing that's so interesting is that if we come from a less optimal life history, if that's our story, when we have an activating event that releases these hormones and chemicals into our body, it can take anywhere from 30 hours to four days for us to be able to metabolize that in our bodies and release and move through it. Now, if on the other end of the spectrum, we've had a different life experience, right? If, we ha- if we've, we're someone who, who had what would be called an optimal life history, that means we function in a more regulated state. That means we had relatively secure attachments with our caregivers, good experiences, right? Through childhood and adolescence and early adulthood and adulthood. We, we just walk in a different sense of safety and well-being. And in someone who's had an optimal life history, Guys, when we talk about metabolizing these things in our body, these chemicals that it releases when we're activated, I just talked about less optimal life history. It can take anywhere from 30 hours to four days. That's why when you get triggered, if you've had a less optimal life history, it can take more than a day. It will take more than a day, right? And up to four days for you to metabolize that and start to be able to think rationally again to get out of fight or flight, right? If you have an optimal life history, Max six hours. It can take up to six hours 
And then you've been able to metabolize that, that venom, those chemicals, that activation in your body. So we can see how two different people can respond very, very differently to the same stimulus. Same thing happens, right? And it sets one person off because they come from a background where their body has had to be on constant alert, scanning for threats and scanning for danger. And it takes that person days to recover from whatever it is that happened. Whereas someone else who comes from a more optimal life history and is more regulated and grew up with a secure attachment with their caregivers and had relatively good experiences and feel safe, well in their body, less than six hours and they've been able to metabolize it and move on. Two different people, same stimulus, two very different responses and reactions. And within all of that, I want to talk about our relevancy radar, right? All of our bodies have this little radar system, this little, this little scanner, and it's constantly looking for what is relevant to you. You in particular, you subjectively, right? And it is only choosing to pay attention to the things that are relevant to you based on your life experience and based on your history. And our arousal, when we, become, when we become triggered or we become activated in our nervous system, it impacts the relevancy process because it grabs our interest and we can no longer attend to other things, right? We become like obsessed and focused on one thing because that's a threat our brain perceives and it's not going to let it go until it thinks we're safe. And what happens is that we collapse. And this is so interesting, but we collapse, we collapse things together based on a life experience, right? Because our body, again, is trying to be efficient in keeping us safe and keeping us alive. So because we continue to perceive the world as dangerous because of how we grew up, right? Because we're constantly seeking out threats. What happens is that we build a deeper brain connection that says, nope, like beep, 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 uh uh-uh, alarm going off, the world is not safe. So what happens is we get stuck in this loop where we continue to activate our survival brain and our body, and it leads to living in these states of hyper and hypo arousal. So let's talk about this idea of collapse because that really happens to us when we're, when we know in our rational brain, like there's no reason for me to be worrying about this. I know I'm safe. I know my children are safe. I know my family is safe. I don't know why I'm feeling so uneasy about this or why I'm having so so much anxiety or these really strange whack thoughts are coming into my head. And let's look at an example when we talk about this collapse. Let's say, for example, you were, when you were a kid, you like, your family took a trip to the desert and you went on a hike, right? And let's say you were like 10 years old. And while you're on that hike in the desert with your family, you were bit by a snake. I hate snakes. <laughs> Let's say you were bit by a snake and this was something that was really terrifying for you as a child and your parents reacted with a lot of alarm and it was this whole thing and you didn't know if it was like, is it a poisonous snake? Is it a not poisonous snake? This hurts. I have, you know, there's, there's, there's blood, like whatever it is, it was awful for you. But what happened in your brain, because it's seeking efficiency and keeping you safe is your brain now has collapsed the desert with snake. The desert is now collapsed with snake. So every time you're in the desert, your body, your brain is going to be scanning and on the lookout, 
that it's incredibly unsafe because there are snakes and you will get bit, right? That's its experience. And this is some weird, you know, example for me to try to make the point for you guys, but think about your own past and your own history. What are things that you experienced where you didn't feel safe in your body, where you didn't feel like you could rely on your caregivers or other people, where you know you were bullied or experienced some sort of trauma in some way, you were ridiculed, you were embarrassed, right? You were told things that aren't true about who you are. You felt guilt, you felt shame. And notice how your brain is so good at scanning for these things now in adulthood, right? And sometimes we don't see the connection, but if we take a second to slow down and get curious, we'll notice that maybe there's been a collapse there, right? I was embarrassed public speaking in sixth grade. So now my body gets super activated public speaking because it's collapsed public speaking with being ridiculed or embarrassed. And it happens in all these different areas of our life. And it's why we find ourselves maybe worrying about things that we know as adults, right? As we stand there, we're like, I know this is safe, but it's still really activating some weird stuff going on inside of me. So that's how our our, our survival brain would collapse things and, and make it seem like, right? It's, it's perceiving this threat that may not actually be there now in the present. Have you ever caught yourself wondering why you do the things you do? Like, why do you get so angry and yell at your kids when they're moving at a snail's pace in the morning? Or why is it so hard to relax when the house is a mess? If so, you've got to take my personality patterns quiz. Because here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. And over time, those defenses became a habit. And then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is really actually often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There's five different personality patterns. And they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs, but rather they describe the safety strategy that you immediately go to when you start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who you are, but rather what's actually blocking who you are. And the good news is that once you take the quiz and you learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern and then live and parent as your true and authentic self. So click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality patterns quiz. But when you're in your learning brain, when you're not in that survival brain, the, the survival brain collapses. So now the desert is collapsed with the snake. But when we're in our learning brain, there's no adverse experiences with the desert, right? We're not on high alert. We can go for a hike in the desert and we can appreciate and admire its beauty. We can take pictures. We can feel a sense of peace and just being with nature. Two very different experiences that two very different people can have with the same stimulus, right? So it's not what's happening that matters. It's not so much our outer environment when we're having these intrusive thoughts or we're worrying and going down these spirals and ruminating. It's not so much what's going on around us, right? There's nothing that has has happened in this moment that makes me terrified that my newborn is going to stop breathing, right? 
it's not, it's not so much what's happening right now. It's how my brain is perceiving it from my inner environment, from what's going on inside of me because of my life experience. So when we are in that survival brain, we're focused only on safety. That's it, right? Any threats to safety, that is our number one focus. So our perception of reality is collapsed. And it's collapsed based on whatever our own life experience has been, our past experiences, and we get stuck on it, right? We get stuck on it being our truth. And the the truth is that it's often not the truth, right? It isn't congruent with what actually occurred. It doesn't mean that the desert is dangerous. It just means that you were in the desert and you were bit by a snake. It doesn't mean that everyone that goes into the desert is going to be bit by a snake. It doesn't mean the next time you go in a desert, you'll be bit by a snake. It just means that it happened. And our brains get wired and collapse these things together so that it doesn't happen again. And we need to be able to ask ourselves, like, is this, is, is what happened to me and what I'm perceiving as truth actually truth, right? Is this actually congruent with reality, with what actually happened? Like, how do I know this is true or not, right? We can be quick to be triggered when we're in that survival brain, our challenges and our setbacks, seem really insurmountable. They seem huge. And the same is true when we're actually engaged with someone who's in that survival brain. Think about your partners and your spouses, right? It's hard to engage. It's hard to have a conversation. It's hard to have a disagreement with someone who's stuck in survival mode when their view of life is collapsed, right? When they associate things that are not necessarily dangerous with danger, they're constantly fearing certain things that you know are not going to happen to them, it can be really hard. It can be really hard to repair behavior in that survival brain, right? Maybe they don't trust. Maybe everything's viewed as manipulation or control or dominance. And you kind of feel stuck and frustrated. and You're not getting anywhere. But you don't want to go to war with people who are stuck in survival brain. It's not going to go anywhere. What you need to do if you notice that you're interacting with someone who's in survival brain because for whatever reason, they're less than optimal life history, they're activated, you got to get off the battlefield. You got to get off the battlefield because you will be perceived in this moment, in that moment as someone entering battle. And that's not what you want to do. But when we're able to regulate and function from not our survival brain, based on the collapse of our life experiences, but our regulated learning brain, oh, we can be focused on possibility, can be focused on constructive ways of relating to the world, ourselves, others, right? Our children, we can be open to seeing different sides and views of reality. We can be that calm mom. We can be receptive and, and curious, and we're just less likely to be triggered or bothered by life, right? Life's going to keep lifing. Challenges will come. Setbacks will come. And the same is true again with our engagement with others. When we are engaged with someone who's learned how to regulate their body, how to regulate their nervous system and access that learning brain, man, you're going to make progress, right? You're going to move towards solutions. You're going to grow together. And so we've all got to learn, right? Through self-regulation exercises, how to show our body that it's safe. We know that our body does not speak a verbal language. We cannot just tell our bodies we're safe. We cannot just tell our bodies to calm down. Yes, that might be part of the process, but very rarely 
when we're in an activated state, does just telling ourselves to do something actually work? We have to show it. We can't just tell it, right? So in order for us to be able to move from this state of hypervigilance where we're constantly scanning, constantly looking for threats, because that's how we've been patterned, constantly perceiving danger, whether it's real or not, we have to show our body that it's safe. We have to show it that it's okay to put down this scanner. It doesn't need to be hypervigilant, right? Maybe I needed that help 30 years ago, but I don't need it anymore. I am safe now, right? I have people around me who are reliable. I am reliable. And once our body starts to understand that it can be, it can trust that it's safe, you'll find that you move from the survival brain to your learning brain so much quicker. You'll find that you can metabolize those activating hormones and chemicals so much more quickly. You're not stuck in it, right? You don't get triggered and you're not stuck in it for days. You're able to actually let it go fairly quickly because you've learned how to show your body that it's safe and it doesn't need to be hypervigilant all the time, all the time. And this is so interesting. It has so so much impact, especially as parents, right? I think sometimes we feel triggered or we feel activated or we feel worried or we have these intrusive thoughts and it can be really confusing and exhausting. But I think as we have an understanding and grow in our awareness of where it comes from, right? It's because my body experienced something that didn't feel safe maybe 30 years ago and I don't even remember it. But for some reason, it's coming through again now as I'm a parent, as I'm responsible for raising a tiny human being making sure that they're safe, there's stuff that's coming up that my survival brain says, scan, 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 make sure it's safe, right? I'm going to make you think of every single possibility and go down every single rabbit hole to protect you. I'm going to make you read every single website and every single book and all these like doomsday things because I'm going to try to protect you. And when we learn how to show our body that we're safe and we don't need it to protect us in that particular way, Oh, that's when our learning brain opens up. And that's when we're able to be present with our family and our children, right? That's when we're able to just parent from that calm space that we all want to parent from. So I say it always, but man, Google some regulation exercises. Um, I'm going to try to put together, actually, I'm I'm thinking about this now, but I'm going to put together like a a list of regulation resources for you guys. And I'll talk about it um, when it's ready on the podcast and I'll just have it available as a download for you. But what I want you to do, you can just Google a list now, but kind of go through some things and find what seems to work for you. So when you find yourself starting to get activated, you're like, oh, I'm noticing it, right? I'm noticing the survival brain kicking in. What works to calm my nervous system? What works to bring me back? What works to regulate me? Is it some fresh air and some warm warm sunshine and a you know a two-minute walk walk on my street? Is it some some breathing? Is it some body-based exercises to get out of my head and into my body? Is it, you know, putting some cold water on my hands and my wrists and, um, you know, submerging my face in some ice cold water or taking a bag of peas from the freezer and putting it on the back of my neck? Like, is it taking my shoes off and standing on the grass in the backyard and just letting myself become grounded? Like, what is it that works for me to become regulated? And then you have a few practices. You have them in your back pocket. You know, five, I have five things that I know take 
30 seconds to a minute and man, it brings me from being in that survival brain back to my regulated learning brain so I can show up with full access to all of the things that I want to show up for, right? When I'm being a parent or or a business owner or a wife, right? I want to show up with my maturity and responsibility and kindness and gentleness and patience. And all of that happens when we're able to regulate and access the learning brain. All right, my friends, that's it for this Monday episode. So grateful for you, grateful for you joining me. If you have found any value in this episode or any other episode, would you please share it with a friend or two? I would love if you did so. It would mean so much to me and just to help get this message um, and this encouragement and this community out to more women just like you. Have a great day, you guys. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, they really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.